beginning to recognize who are good clients for you and who are not good clients for you is a really big step into actually getting your message down. Because once you know who you do your best work with, then you can really start to speak to them specifically. So you're getting more of those people. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, episode 641. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to the Positive Productivity Podcast. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here today, and I'm thrilled to introduce our guest. But before I do, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had trouble determining how to actually verbalize what you do in your business? Let me tell you, I have. And for the longest time, I was using all this fluffy text to express to prospects what I do. And the fluffy text didn't mean anything to them. If you want to know more about what I mean, I was actually telling my prospects that I empower them with the systems, support, and self-care in their, um, the systems and support. Let me try that one more time. Positive productivity is not about perfection. I empower them with the systems and support necessary in their business so they can get the self-care they deserve. Where the heck does that say that I do marketing automation? So with all that said, Holly, I know you know a thing or two about messaging and about integrating your business all together. I want you to expand further, but without further ado, listeners, I want you to meet our fabulous guest today, Holly Chantel, who is a business integrator and brand message strategist. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And yeah, I think I, I think I have a thing or two that I, that we can talk about. <laughs> I could not believe like one day it just hit me. Actually, I think it was my sister who said, you got to get rid of this fluffy text. People don't know what you do. And the more I know, and I fixed it in my business and I see it all over now. Right. I think sometimes we get caught up in trying to sound different or clever or, you know, just trying to encompass way too much in a message. And that's, like you said, that's where you get that fluffy, that fluffy text from instead of just saying it straight. Yeah. What is the problem with saying it straight? I don't know. I think people are just concerned that it's it's going to sound too boring, too much like someone else, or that they're not going to stand out if they don't just like say it straight out. That was me. That was totally me. I was <laughs> afraid of being too salesy too. And I mm-hmm. don't want to be yawn worthy. But Holly, I would love to know, and I'm sure the listeners would as well. How did you wind up here? I mean, where did the passion come from? And what was the journey that brought you to this place? Well, it actually was is kind of an interesting twist in that I started off in direct sales and uh, through that was introduced to the world of coaching. And I, when I first saw my first coach speak on the stage and she inspired me, she made me feel like that little kid again that could do anything that I wanted – I decided that that was what I wanted to bring to people is I wanted to bring people that, that feeling of I can do whatever I want and not feeling limited. And while that sounds like really fluffy and inspirational and like not tangible, how I ended up doing that actually is very, very tangible in 
I, I started sharing my gifts for business building and using that as the vehicle to help people achieve their dreams. And when I started, I was doing website design because it was a skill that I kind of picked up accidentally. I started building websites when I was 12 and realized that it was, was a really needed service in, um, in the coaching world, in direct sales, in the people that I was working with at the time and that they never really knew what to ask for. So they knew that they needed a website. They knew that they needed to have a presence that, you know, a vehicle to get their message out there and to sell their products and programs, but they didn't actually understand how to do that, what needed to go into the website, how to clearly explain what they do. And so that I began to develop my gifts in that arena, really helping them get clear in how to say it straight. And, um, identifying like, what is it that makes them different? Even if they say, I, you know, I help you automate your marketing so that you can free up more of your time to do other things that you, you more enjoy, like those kinds of things. Like how do you, you how do you communicate? (laughs) (laughs) I am embarrassed Um, to say I was in business for seven years. So as of the time mm -hmm. of this recording, this is my seventh, this is the end. And this is the beginning of my eighth year. I'll, I'll say it more positively. So it was only in the last year that I figured out how to say what I do. And here's the thing. You've been in business for, you know, going on eight years now and you were okay. I was, but I can't believe how things turned around the moment I started getting that messaging in line. Exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't, it doesn't have to be perfect in order for you to have a business, but when you do nail it, oh my gosh, it makes such a difference. Uh, Same thing happened to me. It, It didn't take me seven years, but once I, like when I started off, you know, I spent probably my first year dabbling and trying to figure out, you know, how to like, what, what is it that I did and how do I communicate that? And then once I, once I nailed it down and I understood, okay, this is who I'm working with. This is what I'm doing for them. This is how I say it. I was booked solid within about two months. And that year was when I hit six figures, you know, and, and it makes a really big difference when you're that clear. Now, I do have to give myself a little bit of grace because for the first two years, I didn't have the specialty that I do now. And mm-hmm. I didn't. I, so I started my business in 2012. It wasn't until the end of 2014 that I became an Infusionsoft certified partner and really started getting experience in marketing automation. But it mm-hmm. that's only two years. There was another five beyond that where I was still in scarcity mindset. And I would be lying if I said that there aren't still days today that I'm in scarcity mindset, but I finally learned how to say no to all the, all the, I don't know if superfluous, I'm in the mood for a big word, superfluous um, opportunities that come my way in a given week. I finally learned how to say no. I mean, I had a call with a prospect last week that I could have very well said yes to just because I wanted the money, but I realized that is not, that's not my genius zone. Are you going to say yes because yeah. you want the money? Or are you going to say no and pass the referral on to somebody who you know can do a really great job? Well, good for you because that is a really hard place to get to. And you'll, I mean, every, I, th- I feel like we've all done that at one point or another. And sometimes we set those boundaries and say, we're not going to work with those people that have the red flags or, you know, are not working in our zone of genius. But then we have a slow month and you need to say yes and you, you know, 
regret it pretty quickly. Um, but like the beginning to recognize who are good clients for you and who are not good clients for you is a really big step into actually getting your message down. Because once you know who you do your best work with, then you can really start to speak to them specifically. So you're getting more of those people. And then you don't have to say no, because they're Absolutely. not because the no people aren't showing up anyway. Yeah. Well, Holly, um, listeners of the Positive Productivity Podcast know that I am fully transparent and will always share. And listeners, I need you to know that this is one of those super, it, I'm, I'm in a major change point right now where I'm letting go of a client that's just not working for me anymore. And that one client has been the primary driver of income for the last three years. And by the time this episode releases, that will be, that transition will be fully complete. So it was pretty darn scary to say, nope, I'm not interested. But what happened was the very next day, I got a call from a client, well, actually two calls from clients that I've worked with in the past who wanted to resume work. And I absolutely love working with them. But had I said yes to the other person, I wouldn't have had time or I would have Okay, listeners, you also know I've had a trouble with sleep deprivation in the past because I've said yes to too much. Had I said yes to that one person, I wouldn't have had time without sacrificing sleep to say yes to the other people. Right. Oh, that's so good. Good for you. I I now that I'm giving myself the gift of sleep, it is something I can never take back. Mhm. Yeah. My kids try to take it, but I won't do it voluntarily. <laughs> Yeah. So it only, well, I'm I'm so curious about when you said that you started with the web design. That was one of those areas that I got into just because it was a, it, I say easy in quotes mm -hmm. because people found out that I did websites. Oh, Kim, can you do mine? Yep. That was a, that was a, oh my gosh, a repetitive yep. But I wasn't passionate for it, so it took six times longer than it would have had somebody who yeah. was passionate about so it done it. You said it took you seven years to kind of nail down what your actual message was. It took me seven years to realize that websites were not really my joy. Mm. <laughs> so I did websites for seven years before finally realizing that what I really enjoyed was the strategy behind the websites and getting the messaging down and like all of the nuances and the intricacies that was where my joy was. So now that's all I do. So now I've, it took me two years actually to or no, it took me yeah a year and a half to transition completely out of websites. Um, and now all I do is the copywriting, the strategy, the you know, the sales funnel setup. So all the things that go into a website without actually doing the design and the build um, in-house. Because the for me, you know, you say your your kids are, are sleep stealers. Mine are too. And I only have 25 hours a week to, to devote to my business. And project management of the websites was taking all of that. And it was not where I really enjoyed spending my time. Um, so now, you know, just just saying no to at what at that point was 70% of my revenue and moving into what I really enjoyed, I was able to replace that revenue and more like I, the, the, I don't have the overhead anymore of, you know, I was paying a developer, I was paying the artist, um, to do, to do those parts. 
uh, like the business model is completely shifted. And now I have more time to do what I love. I have uh, more joy in my business. And I feel like I'm doing better work now than I've ever done. I love everything that you just said. Because number one, when I officially gave up websites, I had the developer and I had the designer and both went missing in the middle of a project. I was like, okay, Ouch. I'm, yeah, I've had enough. <laughs> I can design websites. I did my own, but I don't want to. And I want mm-hmm. great work. I always want the best work possible, right? And right. And when people just go missing, that's not good for me. I mean, I don't want somebody else going missing, taking down my reputation. And I don't want to be a manager. Was there any part of this that was scary? And and I know this is a nosy slash curious question about whether or not people would want to pay for the strategy. Oh, it absolutely was scary. And so what I did was is because I had to, I had to really change what I was known for. Because like I had become known in the coaching space and I had worked with some of the top players and and taking them from mid six figures to seven figures with the website and the branding strategy that we put together, like for me to change and be no longer known for being the website designer was hugely scary. And, you know, I had referral partners that were sending people to me just for websites And for me to say, yeah, I don't do those anymore, um, it took them a while to figure out what they were supposed to send people to me for. So I, what I did was, is I took, so part of what made our website so great was the strategy behind them and the pre-work that we did before we ever even talked about a website, that was really where the genius was. So what I did was, is I, I had, I unbundled that and started talking about the strategy and started talking about like, what do you need in a website? And how do you really figure out who you are in your business and who you're talking to and get really dialed into the language? And while still offering the, the old offer, um, but raising the price. So this is kind of a, for those of you that you know are trying to make a shift in what you're known for, this is something you can do is you unbundle what it is that you really want to be known for and start talking about that. You're basically changing the conversation. So, you know, I, I um, actually just rebranded again this year. So, you know, I've been doing podcasts. This is probably my 20th podcast this year. Um, I'm doing top podcasts and talking about new different things than I've talked about in the past. And I'm changing the conversation and and what people know about me. And, um, you know, some of my old offers are still there, but I'm building visibility for the new offers in the, in, and putting the focus on those until the revenue has replaced the old offers and I can let them go. Okay. I was about to ask. So the old offers are still on the table until you replace the income. Yeah. Because you don't want to just quit cold Turkey. I actually had this conversation with a client recently who, um, we did a VIP day and they, for, uh, for one, their pricing was completely off for what it was they were offering, um, and the markets that they were offering it to. And it was actually creating this juxtaposition of, they had this amazing, valuable offer, but it val- the value wasn't being seen because the people they were selling it to didn't take them seriously at that price point. So in order for us to kind of make that change, it's a lot you can't just, you know, change the price tag on an offer and expect 
that to make all the difference. Like we had to change all the messaging around it and how it was marketed and a bunch of different things. And, you know, the temptation at that point is like, now that I've seen what's possible, now that I've seen what's better, like, should I, should I just let go of the old stuff? Like maybe I should just cancel everything that I have going right now and, and, you know, start putting these new pieces into place. But the reality is putting those new pieces into place and having them get traction is going to be a three to three to six month thing. You can't cut off your revenue streams that you have coming in right now and get in. And when you know that, you know, the new revenue streams aren't going to be coming in for three to six months. So it can be difficult when it's kind of like, if you're like, you have this boyfriend that, you know, is you, you like, he's really nice, but you know that you're not meant to marry him. <laughs> and you need to, you need to move, you need to move, you need to move on. But it's so, it's, it's like once you've known something better, you can, now you can't like tolerate him at all anymore. He's no longer the boyfriend that you thought you liked. You know, like you, you make that mental switch and like all of a sudden, all the old stuff, like you don't even want to touch it anymore. Um, and that's, that's what can happen in your business. And unfortunately, the reality is you need to keep the revenue coming in while you make the transition. So for a while, you're going to feel like you have um, kind of your hands in two pots. But in the end, it definitely pays off. There is so much gold in what you just said. So I work with the same clients doing their marketing automation, the six and seven figure coaches. But mm -hmm. I had been doing white labeling for their clients. Yes. And that can get a little bit dangerous because, well, a little bit more than a little bit dangerous because they're in a different mindset when they're struggling even to make five figures. Mm -hmm. But they're the ones who I've been working with. So I get the reputation in their circles and I do a great job. Don't get me wrong. But when you're trying to level up, you need to slowly do it. And I love everything that you just said, because on one side, the the dollar value that was being represented to the white labeled clients is different because the service that's being provided is different mm -hmm. for those clients versus the six to seven figure coaches. It, right. It's just a different, and you can't just drop, I can't just drop everybody at the lower until the higher is, is full. Right. So I love that. But I also love how you said, and I was going to ask, but you clarified when you're presenting too low of an offer to your ideal client, they aren't going to take you seriously. And I, that is something that I learned really early. However, I didn't fully learn it. I, I know that's not being clear, but I started my business as a virtual assistant in 2012 and I was charging $8 an hour because I thought I was competing with people overseas. Mm. It's painful to think about. My options were work third shift at a gas station because that was available. That was what was available around here. Or I figured, well, I can make $8 sitting at home. I'm just going to do that. But there were clients who did end up hiring me after phone calls who told me, I almost didn't hire you because you were priced so low. I didn't think you possibly knew anything. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I do have a question though, and I know that listeners could be um, challenged by this, but I see so many coaches in this space who have, let's just say a course, and then they put all these bonuses in to mm -hmm. make the 
the quote value of what people are getting thirty thousand dollars, but then they're mm-hmm. only charging fourteen ninety seven for it. What does the, what does that do for you? Like, what is your opinion on that? Does that make any sense? It does make sense, uh, and it is something that is done quite a bit. Um, and basically what it's called is is price anchoring, where you are kind of setting the anchor that the value is such and such. And you're creating an irresistible offer by, by you know, packing it with value, but charging only whatever. And I feel like the market's getting too smart for that at this point. I feel like that worked a few years ago. Uh, but now people are too smart. <laughs> Like they know that if you're selling something that's quote unquote thirty thousand dollars for fourteen ninety seven, it's worth fourteen ninety seven. Um, and in fact, I feel like a lot of people are kind of ignoring ignoring those offers and 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 looking a little bit deeper, which I personally uh, approve of. Um, the way I do offers and pricing, et cetera, is I don't do discounts. Like the price is the price. And, you know, this is the value and I'm going to stand behind it. However, sometimes you can, you know, do a special where you're, where you are, you know, adding something in or adding some kind of bonus. Like recently, um, I have a membership called the trailblazers collaborative, which is like a nine month mastermind. And I wanted to bring in, you know, some, some people this fall and kind of to bring in new life and to get people ready for 2020 and that kind of thing. And so I bundled in a VIP day that I normally sell for $5,000 and that was a legit bonus. It was not a, um, it was not a, you know, a a fake bonus or like, this is what it's valued at. That's literally what I sell the VIP days for, but I was willing to invest that time up front with people to kind of lower the risk and the, um, you know, that big step of moving into a nine to 12 month mastermind with people that weren't really that familiar, familiar with me. Um, and like when you're doing it with integrity and intention behind it, I, I feel like it lands a lot better. And I think that people are getting tired of the, you know, the quote unquote big names, um, really just, kind of downplaying, downplaying the, you know, that, you know, <laughs> how much that offers actually worth. I want to highlight two words that you just said, the integrity and the intention, mm-hmm. because yes, if I could ditto everything that you just said, well, actually I will, because that will be a tweetable for this episode, but right there, Hey there, my friend. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. I wanted to take a quick moment to invite you to join the Work Smarter, Not Harder Challenge. Over the course of 30 days, these free, yes, free, short videos will teach you a few of the systems and strategies I set up in my business so I can get away from my computer and back to the people I love. I invite you to sign up now at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. Again, you can sign up at WorkSmarterNotHarderChallenge.com. I've been thinking about what Next Level Kim looks like and what I need to do to take myself to the next level. Listeners, if this Mm -hmm. is your first episode, my husband's a video game designer. My whole family, including myself, are video gamers, although I am not. That's like a reward right now. 
but I'm thinking, you know, next level human World of Warcraft for anybody who's yep. played. But you know, <laughs> what does next level? Wait, was that a yup? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I love you already. Um, so, you know what? What does next level Kim look like? So I actually decided this morning what their the tasks not tasks, the activities that I, Next Level Kim is doing and I'm assigning a, an experience point value to each and I want to hit 100 points every week. So, that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I it, love that idea. It just hit me, you know, like, okay, this, I want to get 100 points a week. This is what each of these different activities is worth and I'm going to hit it. But integrity and intention are two of those recurring themes that in full disclosure, when clients come back around, they are saying, well, I wasn't getting this other places. Mm-hmm. I got the huge price tag and I paid a lot of money, but I realized it was more about the money to whoever I bought it from than what I was actually getting delivered. They got my money right. there's and a, then dropped the ball. There's a lot of coaches and experts out there, and this pains me to say it, but it's true. And they're kind of creating a stereotype in the industry that's not not cool just to put it simply um but they're like their whole focus is on getting the sale like they provide so much value in that pre-sale process uh with the and they'll tell you like they'll say like when you provide so much value in the pre-sale process you know people are expecting and know how much value you have on the back end but what they're really focused on is they feel like once they have the sale, like their job's done, and then the program is supposed to deliver itself. But the reality is their programs are not always set up in a way that can deliver itself because they are still sp- speaking on such a high level and not really meeting people where they're at. And and so people aren't getting the value out of the program. So then that makes them really like, kind of shy about making real, real investments. Um, and it, and I don't mean real investments because they're all real. Like you are making an investment in your business, but I'm saying like investments in people that are actually going to deliver like you and I like actually going to deliver on those promises. And we have to overcome all of the, um, you know, all the stuff that people have been through before where they didn't get mm-hmm. what they were supposed to or, you know, they're, they're, whoever they were working with disappeared in the middle of the project. Like you had, you had mm-hmm. that happens so much and it makes work for us harder. It absolutely does. And it eats up and this is going to make me sound money hungry, but I don't mean it this way. It just makes it, well, yeah, I guess I'm just going to repeat what you s- said. It, it makes it harder to trust. I'm working with somebody right now who had bought a funnel package And they were supposed to spend eight weeks creating all the assets for their funnel and then go spend three days at a, at an event out of the country, out of the United Mm -hmm. States, over which point they were going to build it all and they were going to leave with a fully built out functioning funnel. Nobody left with a functioning funnel. So this person is just sick because they spent all this money and they want their funnel built, but all the money that they had to go before it was there. And it's harder to trust now that they're actually going to get what they want delivered. Right. That's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever had to walk away from a client who 
whose integrity was not in alignment with your own? Yes. Um, I have, I have had to fire clients who, um, when I first started working with them, like they, they really seemed like, you know, they had it all together and, um, like they talked, they spoke really well, like their messaging was really good. So this is the tricky part with messaging is that if you're really good at messaging, you can make people believe things even if they're not true. So there's like a fine line, um, between like messaging and, and being in integrity and, and it's not that they, people are doing it intentionally. They just know like when a message lands that, you know, they continue that way. So I've had clients where like their messaging was really good and how they spoke about what they did, but then through working with them and realizing that, you know, they didn't actually have the commitment to the clients that I would, that I did not feel an integrity in helping them sell their stuff because I knew that their client, like their messaging and, and what they were delivering were not the same. Um, and I could give you a huge uh, hug for saying that. <laughs> and I, what I want to say here about, cause you know, I don't obviously, I clearly don't want to bad mouth any of my clients. It was not intentional on their part. Mm. They were not being slimy. They were not, it was, it was something that they were not really aware of. Um, and when I brought it up, like they, they truly believed that they were still delivering the, the value that they thought they were. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. Okay. So I'm going to go back to the next level Kim statement. I want to, what does mm-hmm. next level Holly look like? Like what are, what are a couple, <laughs> I, I like that. What are two things that you, that next level Holly would be doing that you're not right now. And I know this is putting you on the spot, mm-hmm. but what are two things um, that she could be doing? Well, I basically I I'm next level. Holly is doing the things that she's doing now. Um, but she's made the transformation complete in that. So like I said, I rebranded toward the beginning of this year and that has meant for me building a new audience and, um, I have, and, and filling, these new offers. Um, and that transition just hasn't completed yet. Um, but I'm already, I've already stepped into next level Holly. And what that looks like is, uh, helping six figure entrepreneurs. So people that have, you know, proven that they are successful and they've reached a plateau in their business where they're starting to hit that upper limit and they've either outgrown their business or they, you know, we're following very well-intentioned advice, but they've built a business that doesn't really bring them joy. You know, they might be working with the, like whoever was the low hanging fruit at the time, kind of like what I did when I started low hanging fruit was website design was not my joy was there for seven years. And then I had reached a plateau and I realized I've outgrown this. I'm bigger than this. And I need to step into what my real genius is. And those are the people that I want to work with now and helping them figure out not just, okay, what is that genius? What is, what is it that you really want to be doing? And what does that business look like? And then helping them transition from old business that they have into, you know, that next level business that they really want. And there's so much that goes into that from the strategy to, you know, the, the messaging and then also the mindset pieces. Like there's so many things that, 
you don't realize are yourself holding yourself back, um, whether that be raising your prices, whether that be showing up in a new different way. Um, you know, there's, there's just so many lessons that I've learned over the last 10 years in business about how, how people are like playing so much smaller without even realizing it. And I really want to help people to step into that bigger version of themselves. In full disclosure, I, my cat agrees. Um, (laughs) and I haven't even said it yet. I, I used to get so frustrated when I would hear, especially female entrepreneurs say that you had to get dressed and put on makeup in the morning in order to reach the next level of success. Mm -hmm. And listeners, positive productivity comes along with cats someday. And I did not realize I locked this one in my office before I push record. Um, (laughs) So, so away. Yeah. So I, in full disclosure, I am wearing sweatpants and no bra. I know that's a lot to share in this episode, but I've realized that in order to feel comfortable going on video, which I'm finally doing, it really does require a shower and makeup because I feel I feel more confident. And I'm not saying that makes me a better version of myself, but I've also realized how much pleasure, please don't read into that people, I get out of that morning shower. And because I always get fed ideas, they're caffeinated showers. It's dangerous. Mm-hmm. I get ideas fed to me, but I come out, I'm totally in the zone. If a client calls unexpectedly and wants to do a video, you know, a video call, I, I don't feel embarrassed to show myself because I have mm-hmm. yesterday's hair. How do you feel about that? I mean, do you feel like you need to dress or look a certain way? And I don't mean to be vain here. I hope you know that. Mm -hmm. But is there a certain way of dressing in a day that makes you feel better? I feel like when you do get up and get dressed in the morning, you... When you treat your business like a job, like you're you're going to work, um, you perform better. Like if you're in your jammies, you are comfortable. Um, and I'm not saying I don't ever work in my jammies, but you know, on the day to day, I, I get dressed, I take a shower. Um, you know, I have a a three-year-old and a five-year-old. That's not always easy. Um, do I always put on full makeup? No, but I make sure, you know, I look presentable so that if I do a video, um, you know, I'm pretty much on video on the day-to-day basis, but my clients know you know, this is what Holly looks like. She's not always done to the nines and that's okay. And I feel like there's, there's a fine line between making like dressing yourself up more like to present a image that might not be necessarily you on the day to day and putting enough effort into your self care and how you're showing up to feel like you are doing work. And I remember, um, Go ahead. <laughs> I said, wow. Uh, and, and I feel like that's, it's not, it's not necessarily going overboard when I worked. So in college, um, I've never actually had a corporate job, but in college in the summers, I did work in a call center, um, for a company that was actually paying for me to go to college. So that made sense. Um, but they, like, we always had to dress nicely, even on the weekends. If we were working on a Saturday, we still had to dress nicely. And they said, it's because your voice sounds different on the phone when you are dressed to be in business than if you were wearing sweatpants or jeans or something that's more casual. Like if you're dressed for the weekend, you're going to be talking like you're on 
vacation. But if you're dressed to go to work, you're going to be talking like you're going to work. And it makes a difference. You just opened my eyes to something. I think I'm going to have to test this. But thinking about the last week, I got more interruptions from my family when I was not dressed to work. Ah, interesting. But when mom has her her work face on, and no, I same as you just said, I mean, it's not like a full face of makeup, but I've showered, mm-hmm. my hair is is good, my, my face looks like I can get on video. Oh, mom must be on a call. She's busy. She's in her professional mode. I'm going to have to make note of this, actually, and I was already planning on getting my work face on after we got off here today, but... This could be really interesting. That's been a struggle of mine with my family in full disclosure, mm-hmm. especially my two older boys. Uh, their dad is my first husband. And I've said to them before, hey, would you walk into your dad's office and just start talking to him like you are to me when I'm on a client call, if he were on a call? Uh, No, but I also can't just walk into dad's office because he works 50 miles away. I was like, oh. That's not what I mean. <laughs> Stop it with your teenager logic. <laughs> yeah, I know. Teenager logic drives me crazy. But I'm like, j- seriously, if I had an office outside of the home and I was sitting there, would you just walk in and presume that you can just start talking to me when I'm on a on a call? No. Right. Oh, I'm loving this. I had never thought about it in that way. It wasn't just about how I felt, but even from within my house. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have young ones too. I have four-year-old twins and a six-year-old. What would you like to teach them about entrepreneurship, if anything? I think that what I, and I already am teaching them, is that all of the talents and the things that they really enjoy can be turned into a career, whether that be entrepreneurship or whether that be a job, because I feel like, I mean, I know how I was raised was, was, um, you know, my, I'm the first in my family to, you know, have gone to college and all of that. So like, that was like the next step, like after high school, you go to college, you get a career, you work that career until you retire and then you have fun. And I'd always bucked that because I, you know, I had passions and I had things that I wanted to do and none of them really fit into a career. Like I've always wanted to be a business owner. I wasn't really sure what kind of business I would have, but I've always been an entrepreneur. Like I've, I started my first business when I was 19 and, you know, I did do the college thing. I did graduate school. I'm using neither of those degrees. Um, and at first, you know, when I went into business as a coach, um, instead of pursuing, you know, veterinary school, which was the next step that my parents expected me to do, you know, I got my, I, I got, I, my dad was not, not very approving. And I mean, they, my parents have always supported me no matter what, but I had to constantly defend myself. And then now, you know, once he's seen how successful I am and how I am doing what I set out to, and that this is a viable career. Like now I have their total respect, but I want, I don't want my kids to have to go through that learning curve of having to, you know, um, defy me (laughs) in order to do things their own way. Like I'm, I'm teaching them from a young age that, 
you know, the things that they love can be what they do for the rest of their lives. It doesn't have to be something that is just fun on the side or after they retire or that kind of thing. Yesterday, I drove a couple hours each way to take my 14 year old to a soccer game. And we had a really interesting talk on the way there. He told me he wants to be a stockbroker when he grows up. So Mm -hmm. we were just talking about why and Oh my gosh, Holly, I admitted to him that back in 2008, I had Amazon stock and sold it. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) That was painful to admit. He's like, mom. I said, I know it was $30 a share back then. So he picks up his phone and I won't say S-I-R-I right now because I don't need her chiming in here, but found out how much it's worth today and gave me grief. But I made sure to tell him that the financial struggles that he's seen through this journey are not Mm -hmm. necessary. So we had a whole talk about confidence and value and not racking up debt to build whatever dream you're passionate Mm -hmm. about. And I'm not saying that having debt to build a dream is a bad thing, but there's smart ways Mm -hmm. and not so smart ways to do it. Yeah, He's like, well, mom, I think you've made a lot of not so smart decisions. And I just had to admit to him, yes, you are absolutely right. So just take some of my not so smart decisions and make sure to do your best not to do them. He's like, okay. Because the the last thing I want my kids to think is that to get a lot of money, to make a lot of money takes a lot of hard work and pain. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think it needs to be that way at all. Do you see yourself ever being able to retire? And I don't mean financially. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I'll ever want to retire. I'm not someone that cannot do something. Um, neither are my parents, my, you know, my grandparents who are, you know, in their eighties, they still work. Um, it's just kind of in our blood to, you know, it's not a financial thing. It's just, a we need to have a purpose to fulfill and do. Um, so I don't know. I will see. <laughs> My I feel like I'll same. always be doing something. Uh-huh. I actually have a group of friends. We call ourselves the unretireables. Yep. And I would love if any listeners know the answer to this, I would love to know the answer. I want to know when retirement came a, became a thing. So mm. if you know the history of retirement, like, because I would have to think, go back a hundred years, 200 years. It wasn't a thing. You know, this cat is going to drive me I feel me like crazy. it was, though, even in, you know, in history, um, how the elders in, you know, Native American history, how they're treated. Like, they're not out hunting and they're not out providing and taking care of the home and, and that kind of thing. They're put in an exalted position where they are taken care of as they took care of those younger than them. So I bet that has something to do with the origins. Mm. That's, that's an interesting thought. And I can see that, but Mm -hmm. I would have to imagine that they were still doing something. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But listeners, if you know the origins, go to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP641. And I would also love to hear your ahas, your thoughts, and even what your next level self looks like. For all future episodes, I will be making sure to keep tiddlywinks out of my episode or out of the office before episode starts. Holly, where can listeners find you, connect with you, get to know more and, and all that great stuff? 
Yeah. So my website is hollychantel.com and that's C-H-A-N-C-H-A-N-T-A-L. And if you're interested in figuring out, so I talked like about how when people reach that plateau and you're like, you're, you're trying to build your business, but you're not really sure what it is that's stopping you. I do have a quiz that you can take that'll tell you like the, this is the sticking point in your business. Like this is the blind spot that you can't see that is keeping you from moving forward. Um, and that is at growthblindspot.com. So if that's you, you're trying to grow your business, you're not really sure why things aren't moving in the direction you're trying to get to, um, that, that quiz will tell you right away what it is. I am so embarrassed to admit this, but you just reminded me that I have a easy URL for an (laughs) opt-in and I record. (laughs) Okay. Listeners rewind a little bit. There's a mid roll ad. I am after we get done recording this episode, I'm going to go re-record that because I only recorded it this morning and I forgot that I had bought the URL to make it easier. Thank you, Holly. Like <laughs> when you said that, okay, one more time. What is your URL for the quiz? Growthblindspot.com. Genius. Listeners, if you don't have an easy URL for your primary opt-in, think about it. Because I was about to give people this long URL. Duh. Make it easy for people. <laughs> Coincidentally, it it's my work smarter, not harder challenge. And I was giving them a long URL. How is that working smarter and not harder? It's like, <laughs> duh. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, that's just another golden nugget. And that one was totally unintentional that you've provided through this whole episode. But I have enjoyed this conversation so much. And I would love to know if you have one more golden nugget that you can share with listeners. Yeah. So yeah, the golden nugget is nine times out of 10. If something is not working in your business, most of the time it's your messaging. So if you are attracting people that can't afford your services, you're trying to raise your prices and you can't, there's something with your messaging. If you're attracting people that you want to say no to, but you can't because you need the money, it has to do with your messaging. Whatever you are putting out there in your marketing you're, is what you're attracting. And it, it, it can be so nuanced and sneaky that there might be just one word that you're using that is resonating with the people that you don't actually want to work with. Um, and that like that is, is the thing that I wish I knew a lot sooner <laughs> and um, has made the biggest difference for my clients. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. (laughs) 